Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Zaren Burnett. What up, Elizabeth Dutton? You know it's ridiculous. Girl, I do. The Utah Jazz. <laughs> Did you ever Full stop. Yeah, did you ever wonder why there's a team in Salt Lake City called the Utah Jazz? Didn't they start somewhere else? New Orleans, yeah, of course, yeah. right? They were the New Orleans Jazz. They were an expansion team, and they chose their name because jazz is, quote, defined in the dictionary as collective improvisation, and that's basketball to them. So mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, we're the Utah, we're sorry, Utah, we're the New Orleans Jazz. Okay, well, Elizabeth, jazz, and that belongs in New Orleans. Basketball apparently does not, because I looked into this because I was curious, like, how did this ever happen? Oh, man. In their second stadium, they had an elevated court. They were only in New Orleans for five years, but they had a second stadium. And in the second Wait. stadium, they it was elevated. It was elevated so high that the NBA Players Association, the union for players, made the Jazz add a net around the court so when players fell off, they didn't get hurt. You're kidding no. me. Like, what is going it on? It didn't have, like, enough of a I don't, curtain I, or, I mean, an apron around it? No, or it was elevated. Like, you would be watching it like it was a boxing match or something. Like, they were up high above the crowd. Is that just so that we could all peek up their shorts? I Maybe. Yes, you. Shorts were short you, then. They were very short then. <laughs> but there was also, like, not just that, there was the issue of Mardi Gras. So whenever they, they had to leave and be out of the town, out of New Orleans, the entire month that Mardi Gras was going because nobody would go to the basketball. They were like, oh, forget that. So yeah. they were like, well, we, we can't have that look bad. So they would just leave town for a whole month. They'd go on a road trip because of Mardi Gras. So after this five years, people were like, look, we got to get basketball out of New Orleans. So then they moved it to Utah, and they're like, oh, yeah. But why didn't they change the name? That's names? my question. You know why? Paperwork. What? They missed a deadline. The league had a deadline for to approve a name change. They couldn't get that in time. So because they didn't do that, they decided to keep the Mardi Gras colors and become the Utah Jazz. And so... 
<laughs> to this day, this Utah-based professional basketball team, they now have a mascot named Jazz Bear who rides Jazz into Bear. the stadium on a dirt motorbike and he fires off, like, I don't know, T-shirt guns or T-shirt uh-huh. cannons yeah, at people. Baby. I know you like that. Uh-huh. And I I don't know. The only way that this makes sense to me is if Jazz Bear and Cocaine Bear are related. That they would are. make sense. Let's and then say I'm like, they are. They are now. That's canon. <laughs> so, But, like, the team, the team should be the Utah Templars, right? Or, or the, like, the honeybees. Dude. I saw somebody on Reddit, they said that, you know, they point, basically pointed out that it's right next to the Salt Lake, Great mm-hmm. Salt Lake, and they're like, that thing's got mad brine shrimp. So, dude, Reddit user, uh, Bush did Cloverfield, he posted <laughs> <laughs> that the Utah Jazz, and yes. I quote, should be called the Utah Sea Monkeys. And I agree with Bush did Cloverfield. Go Sea Monkeys. I'm going to do a change.org petition <laughs> exactly. on that. Get this, make this happen. Wow. So there you go. Ridiculous, that right? That is ridiculous. Yeah. Do you know what else is ridiculous? No, hit me with it. Having a con career that involves creating a perfume line with Jermaine Jackson. Wait, what? <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Zarin. Elizabeth. I love a good European con artist. Yeah, you do. Right? Especially when the con takes their show on the road to the United States. That's when it gets good. Well, we're such suckers here for British or European accents and continental mannerisms. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you wear, like, pants where I can see your ankles and, and <laughs> like, oh, you must know things. Brilliant things. Well, I think you know a little about this from your time in Hollywood. Did you ever encounter any shady Europeans when you were there? Did I ever? <laughs> we could ask a shorter question. Did I ever meet any, like, solid and well-to-do and reasonable Europeans in the film industry? <laughs> no. Uh, I would say that, yeah, I met a ton of shady, like, mostly French, a lot of, and so, the Germans who are just here trying to find places to invest our money because we are so into it, like, what you're doing in Hollywood is so much fun and everybody around the world pays attention and we have and you don't know very well in Germany right now so we're looking for places to invest do you need money <laughs> you're like are you kidding what? you're not a real investor this yeah. is a cocaine deal <laughs> basically I think that the guy I'm going to tell you about was before your time there oh, but sure. he would blend right into what you're talking about mm-hmm. and I'm talking about a man named Christoph Rochancourt Ooh, good name. Um, or he was Christopher Reyes, or <laughs> Christopher Lloyd, or Christopher De Laurentiis. Oh wow! What or Christopher Rockefeller. Oh yeah, yeah. you I, heard me. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Yeah. So I said European, right? This dude's French. Um, apparently, he's from the French branch of the Rockefeller family. Um, <laughs> the Rockefeller. <laughs> Christophe Terry Daniel Rochancourt. Uh, he was born in 1967 in Enfleur, France. Uh, so his dad was a house painter and a drunk and an all-around garbage human being. Uh, I was going to say, you had me going with house painter, and then it fell off fast. And then it, it just went right off a cliff. His mom was a 17-year-old prostitute. Mm. His early li- home life was obviously chaotic. Sounds like Chaotic it. is an understatement. Yes. Uh, I don't want to get into it because it's a sad, horrible mess. But uh, the essential part is that Christoph wound up in an orphanage. Mm, so he gets adopted when he's 12 by this military guy in his family. Like a great Santini type? Well, super disciplinarian. Yeah, okay. Um, 
Christoph ran away a few times and then took off for good when he was 18. That was 1985. So he goes to Paris, does some modeling. <laughs> okay. As you do. <laughs> Didn't see that coming. Yeah, he got himself a wealthy girlfriend. Nice. And then he pulled his very first con. Ah, oh, look at you. Yeah, he said he was Russian nobility, and he called himself Prince de Galitzin. Prince de Galitzin. As Prince de Galitzin. Uh, Galitzin. He forged a deed. Uh, to this one of the posh townhouses that his girlfriend's father owned. Ooh, yeah. wow. And then he tried to sell <laughs> it for choice. $1.2 million. Oh, wow. <laughs> Did he, hopefully she, the no. girlfriend's father owned a lot of places? He owned a ton of places, but no one was buying his Russian royalty story. Yeah, I'm not a bet that. So it didn't fly. But between 87 and 1992... He did five different jail stints for forgery, counterfeiting, petty larceny. So he was not good. No, he was not good at this. Yes. Uh, he skipped over the border to Switzerland, and then he participated in this home invasion robbery that kind of blossomed into a jewelry store heist. That's strange. Yeah, okay. they bust in. They're like, oh, you you own this jewelry store. Take us to the oh, store. Oh, I got you. So the cops pinned him as a, a suspect. It was a two for one. Yeah, exactly. They're, oh, hey, you're the jewelry store owner. Let's go down to your business. Uh, they pay, the cops take him as a suspect, but he leaves the country. Smart. So yeah. before he can get caught, where did he go? Luson. His next location was the perfect spot for him and where he could really run his con in the best possible way. Hmm. Los Angeles. Oh, yes, it is. <laughs> so it's 1991. He's 24 years old. He's a Frenchman on a mission to reinvent himself and lighten some bank accounts along the way. This is who you meet in Hollywood. Exactly. So he gets in good with the French expatriates in Los Angeles. Yes. The epicenter of that crowd was Cafe Maurice on La Cienega. Huh, okay. And the location is now the Belmont. Okay. Um, but for many years, up until 2001, Cafe Maurice was the spot for the French uh -huh. um, and those who wanted to kind of be in their orbit. The snobbery was exceptionally thick. Yeah, they, a yeah. pure Parisian gem. You know what else was thick? This guy's accent, Rocancourt. Yeah. I watched his interview with Steve Croft on 60 Minutes and I was totally blown away. I thought your French accent was thick, <laughs> like comically so. Yes. I didn't think any real Frenchman sounded like that when speaking English. Oh, they do. I was wrong. Yes. Mother of pearl, his <laughs> accent is thick. So anyway. <laughs> Je coquille. Basically, I do not know what you're talking about. Um, on In June of 1992, Rocancourt, he went to this place called Bar One mm -hmm. on Sunset Boulevard. Mm -hmm. It was the hip spot in the 90s for Hollywood types and the wealthy. Um, there were tons of paparazzi photos of people. Like, I looked it up. Who was going to bar one at this time? Pam Anderson. Oh, yeah. Ringo Starr had a birthday party there. <laughs> Stuck on. Christian Slater. Oh, yes. Scott Baio. This is it. It's like L-list <laughs> celebrities. Um, it was a hot spot. You got to trust me. It was a hot spot, even though I couldn't find photographic proof of it. <laughs> so, Rokencore, he wanted to go to bar one, not for celebrity spotting or, like, schmooze rich dudes. He wanted a wheeze on the coat check girl, Ooh. Uh, a born-again Christian named Gree Park. <laughs> so Gree, she tried her hand at acting. She was in The Adventures of Ford Fairlane as Ooh. twin club girl. <laughs> and then Classic she, cinema. She was in an episode of Freddy's Nightmares. Oh, wee, jeez. Um, but now, here she is reading the Bible while working the coat check at bar one. <laughs> like, she literally sat there reading, reading the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> Rokencore, smitten and oh, relentless. He's like, there's a mark. <laughs> yeah. Or should I say, De Laurentiis was smitten and relentless. Oh, this is when he becomes De He Laurentiis. introduced himself to Gris as Christopher De Laurentiis, 
nephew of film producer Dino De Laurentiis. Good, yeah, of course. Why not? Yeah. And he's determined to get together with Gree. He offers to go to church with her. Wow. He's like, that's a good date. <laughs> Slide in there. A couple of months, his pursuit pays off. Like, he just keeps at her, keeps at her. They didn't have, like, a normal first date. They didn't have a first kiss. They flew to Hawaii for a vacation. He took her to Hawaii. Right. The first thing he the did first with her? Thing, the first time he gets her out of bar one is to go to—they had separate rooms in Hawaii— but so he and she's like he was a perfect gentleman. So over time, though, he wins her affections and he also confesses his cons to her. This is like way before Instagram fly me out stories. Oh, completely. This is amazing. Yeah, how, she has nowhere to post the pics. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, people who say they're not doing it for the gram are doing it for the gram. Um, so he confesses his cons. He also tells her his real name. And, he gets her to Hawaii and decides to confess well, her. Well, no, this is like when they get oh, back. Oh, okay, okay. And so then they're kind of, they're like going around. They go to Vegas all the time Oh, so they've together. hit it off. Okay. Yeah. So this is October of 92. The love bombing worked. Yes. The love bombing paid off. They On one of their Vegas trips, they got married. And mm-hmm. then they moved into this new home together, a suite at the Peninsula Beverly Hills Hotel. Hmm. So Gree, though, she's starting to get a little suspicious. <laughs> At this uh, point, little lady. None of his stories are adding up. <laughs> okay. And, like, debts are piling up. They're starting to have, like, bill collectors come. <laughs> so she threatens to leave unless he tells the truth about himself and his life. Like, hey, Chris, was your dad really a diplomat? He's <laughs> like, l- no, le no. He was diplomatic. <laughs> he was diplomatic. Uh, was he a, are you a drug dealer, Chris? Uh, Leno. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, fine. I'm a criminal. I'm actually part of the Italian mafia. <laughs> you can tell by my accent. By this incredibly my thick French accent. Gree's like, I've had enough. I know. That's what and does it for the Italian mafia? Yeah. So <laughs> okay. she, the Italian, the Frenchman in the Italian mafia. So she's like, look, I'm leaving. She goes to her sisters in San Francisco. I need to tell you that at the time she's pregnant with their child. Ooh. Yeah. So she didn't tell him where she was going. Somehow he tracks her down. Um, he moved into a place just across the Golden Gate from her in Sausalito. Uh, a yes. lot of marks in Sausalito. Good spot for that. And he begs her over and over again to reconcile. Did she call the cops? No. Kind of. She called the FBI. Oh, wow. So, That's more than kind do. of. Yeah. So she's just like, this guy's harassing me, whatever. So she calls the FBI. Kind and of she be like says, if you called the Coast Guard. She called the FBI. Yeah. But here's what she does. She calls him up and she's like, hey, um, I am married to this guy, Christopher Rokencore. If you've heard of him or if you have anything you want to talk about, give me a call. She leaves a message. Five minutes later, they call back. And then like 10 minutes after that, an agent's at her door. Oh, my God. They were already in the Bay Area to track him down (laughs) because, like, the agent had gone, interviewed a bunch of people in Sausalito and in Napa who said they'd all been conned by a guy named Christopher De Laurentiis, (laughs) and they lost money to him. So Gree's like, you know what? I'm in. Let's catch this guy. Like, let's let's get rid of him. Yeah. So phones are tapped. Calls are traced. Gree sets up this call with Rokencore. She's like, honey, it's over for good. No, and then like he hangs up on her. Um, a few minutes later, he called right back. He's like, "Guess what? The FBI has arrested me." And so hangs up, and he's like, "I know it was you." He he's like, "By the way, I will not kill you." Tells her, "I'm not going to kill you." So there's that. That's She's like, good. "Okay, well, I feel a little bit better about she this." You can feel the safe. So Rokencore, he was wanted for that Swiss home invasion turned mm-hmm. jewelry heist. Um, he gets extradited to Geneva. Ah. There wasn't enough evidence, though, so he gets handed over to the French for all those old swindles that he pulled back there. 
He went to prison in France in 1994, supposedly for life. Really? Sentence. Wow. Well, that sounds excessive. It does. Doesn't it? The French thought so, too. So it didn't he goes, sound very French. He goes in in 94, and he comes out in 95. <laughs> <laughs> From life to one year? C'est la vie. <laughs> so. We have changed our mind. Life, it is, it is so impermanent. Why should we make you spend the impermanence here? Right. Let him free. So what does he do? He gets out, and he contacts Gris. And I am she, back. He's like, come to Paris, please. <laughs> and she does. She's like, all right. Hops a plane. The law has that process. I guess you. it's like she's the mother of his child, or they get back together. She really believes in prison reform. <laughs> it's restorative. So they get back together, but she what she doesn't tell them is she's had their marriage annulled. Ooh. So it's over, but like, all right, fine, I'll give it a shot. They both eventually go back to L.A., and then Rokencore's like, I'm going to go straight, but he he obviously doesn't. He succeed. doesn't know how to do that. Because otherwise that would be the end of this episode. <laughs> um, so they're on again, off again, and he's like getting help from her like Christian missionary pals. Oh, wow. Who are like, you can sleep on my sofa, and I'll pay for you to <laughs> take some classes or whatever. The sheep invites the wolf into their home. Basically. But at the whole time, Rokencore, he's romancing a Playboy model named Pia Reyes. Ooh. Yeah. And in 1996, they got married. So he marries this Playboy model. Oh, man. They move into suite 1090 at the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Oh. And he tells everyone that he's this wealthy French businessman. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes he's Christopher De La Renta, nephew of fashion designer Oscar De La Renta. (laughs) Sometimes he says he owns all these Beverly Hills boutiques. Sometimes he's Christopher Reyes. Like, he takes progressive. He takes his wife's name, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, So he's running up all these huge tabs at hotels, boutiques, restaurants, because he's convincing. Things start to get a little close with the debts, so then he just, like, swindles someone new, pays them off, and then keeps going. So he just... Clears his debt with a new swindle. Yeah, he swindles Paul to pay Peter. Exactly. Um, So there he is, cruising around L.A. in a Ferrari. He had this gray Ferrari. (laughs) Okay. He's playing the part of Bon Vivant. Um, Everyone wanted to come and party at Suite 1090. (sighs) Celebrities, rich weirdos, Hollywood freaks, Beverly Hills adventurers. This is getting like a Stefan from SNL. Seriously. Um, He got himself a bodyguard, a guy named Benny Amgar. Um, Amgar also did security for a, another late 90s spectacle, hmm. Anna Nicole Smith. Oh. Yeah, we're in that, like, yes. um, so let's take a break okay. and, and, and process this. When we come back, I'm going to tell you about the people who partied in Sweet 1090. Oh, hell yeah. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. 
Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculouscrime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculouscrime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold Blooded The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, My name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Hey, look at us. Uh, We're at the Regent Beverly Wilshire Hotel. Oh, yeah. We can see Rodale Drive from here. Exactly. Rokencore. He's married to a Playboy bunny, living it up, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he has tons of interesting and weird and shady and naive people hanging around and partying with him. <laughs> it's L.A. Well, and you'd have, like, a list of, like, all the stuff that they like, like oh, drugs, my. Asian ladies. Like, <laughs> so, um, so there's another grifter yeah. in this orbit named Leah Bongo. Leah Bongo, that's a great name. Well, she's the daughter of Omar Bongo, president of Gabon. Oh, so not like the cousin of Oingo Bongo. No. So he was president for 42 years Mm -hmm. from 1967 to his death in 2009. And he was plagued by allegations of corruption most of the time. President of Gabon. Yes, president of Gabon. He's legit. Omar Bongo. Uh Sure. Um, He was one of the wealthiest heads of state thanks to oil money and corruption. Corruption, yes, the other <laughs> Do you remember industry. the Jack Abramoff scandal? Oh, yeah. So he the was, dude with the fedora? Yeah, exactly. He was the lobbyist who went to jail for uh-huh. corruption and bribery. That's the simplest way to explain yeah. that one. Um, we sh- You should do an episode on Jack Abramoff. Oh, yeah, him and Blagojevich. Yes, Blagojevich. Anyway, so Abramoff, he offered to put together a meeting between George W. Bush and Bongo for the low, low price of $9 million. <laughs> Oh, wow. It for was a never, meeting? Yeah, it was never proven that money changed hands, but Bush did meet with Bongo less than a year after the offer was made. Wow. So Omar Bongo, he had 30 kids. And of those kids, <sighs> one, Leah Bongo. Uh-huh. And who is she? She's the assistant to Jermaine Jackson. Wait a minute. You're the daughter of a president, and the best gig you can get is the Well, he, Jermaine part of the Jackson's corruption assist- that he had is he was sending tons of money over to the states and buying mansions sure. in Malibu and all yeah. these other places and, and just living this lavish lifestyle and sending his kids sure, all over. Sure, exactly. So I'm not so sure if he, she was like the true assistant or just like the a fact sidekick to, to Jermaine up- Jackson. Sure, but the fact she had to show up anywhere on a schedule, right. like, like, like a clock was a part I of know, her life, is amazing. Well, every time I see the name Jermaine Jackson— yes. 
All I think about is that he has a kid named Your Majesty, and I just keep marveling at that. I give myself a little closed mouth chuckle. Your Majesty. Your Majesty. So Leah Bongo, she gives Rokankor access to a bunch of like hyper wealthy African royalty. Yeah. And he uses that to his full advantage. They're giving him cars, they're loaning him money. So he's just taking advantage. Uh Another clown in this circus is a guy named Carlos Pinto. He's a Beverly Hills cop. Oh, wow. And how did he meet Rokankor? Gave him a ticket once. Oh, I was doing it with corruption. No, okay. suddenly they're like pals. His sister, Lillian Pinho, mm-hmm. uh, she also entered the friend group. She wound up giving Rokankor $125,000 uh, for one of his phony investment schemes. And this time he said it was a project to open an Italian men's clothing shop called Pal Zilleri downstairs in the lobby of the Regent Beverly Wilshire. So he's so, scamming a cop's sister out of a hundred grand uh-huh. to make some BS. Oh, and she men's went through this clothing. whole thing trying to get the money back where she she had to fly somewhere to meet up with him and he had this henchman with him what? and she thought he was like an assassin and they're gonna give her this check and the the henchman pulls the check out of his tie what? and hands it to her and out she opens it up and it's like a fake check but it's signed by Steve Martin like the <laughs> comedian what the whole thing is so confusing she's confused she's like are you kidding me so he takes it and then he's like confides like I'm not really a henchman I'm like I got con too so anyway that's Lillian. I'm like you. <laughs> <laughs> so and the, the check coming out of the tie, like his little, it's, it's like amazing. those old shoes, like the kangaroos yes. with the zipper and all. You, yeah, anyway. And the Steve Martin part. Steve just Martin. anomalous just Steve Martin. randomly Steve Martin. So here's Christopher. He's okay. like toodling around Beverly Hills in his Ferrari. He comes up with fake business deals with which to con the wealthy and like the not so wealthy okay. of their money. Most of the people were wary of his schemes, but two men kept him afloat. All right. Um, one was uh, Michel Polnareff, uh, an aging French pop star, <laughs> who was just like in a blonde, like his hair looks like a blonde fright wig. It's just fried. Um, he met. What a life. He, Polnareff met Rokankor at Cafe Maurice, of okay. course. One day Polnareff was like bemoaning the dangers of being a celebrity that, that like no one had ever heard of. Um, and Rokankor told him like, I can get you a national gun permit. There's no such thing as no. Uh, Polnareff is like that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. I would love that in America. And he gives him a couple hundred thousand dollars to secure one. A couple hundred yeah. thousand for a gun permit. He never got the permit, Aaron. He doesn't deserve the money. No. Another dupe was was a guy, um, Sharam Muzazadeh. Okay. So Sharam, he was a boutique owner. Okay. Um, I think he may have been a fellow con artist, but that's mm-hmm. pure speculation on okay. my part. So Sharam gave Rokankort $200,000 in cash, $25,000 worth of clothes, and then that little kicky Ferrari he was driving around yeah. town. <laughs> Remember Jermaine Jackson? Yes, how could I father forget? Father of Your Majesty <laughs> yes. and his assistant, Leah Bongo. Uh-huh. Rokankort met them in one of Sharam's boutiques. Um, all four of them came up with this plan in which Sharam would sell a line of perfumes based on the hit songs of Jermaine's brother, Michael Jackson. So, like, Thriller and Bad. Sure. Porum. You know, whatever. (laughs) Um, I'm not sure that Jermaine had the authority to do such Um, a thing. I'm guessing not. Needless to say, the deal fell through. Um, You know who else Rokankor started hanging out with around this time? Oh, man, I don't even know. It's a grab bag. Harvey Keitel? I have no idea. Mickey Rourke. Oh, my God! (laughs) (laughs) So they met at Barfly... 
appropriately enough, on Sunset Boulevard. Oh, my God, Barfly. Yes. Oh, right? geez. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. So, I remember that place. Rokencore, he eventually moved into Mickey Rourke's house. Okay. And they were roomies. Um, it was at this point that Rokencore took a mistress, <laughs> a topless model by the name of Rhonda Rydell. Oh, man. So he's married to a Playboy bunny. And he is hooking up with Catting around with a Rhonda Rydell. Oh, wow. So he convinces Rhonda that he's French royalty, but with like a working man's soul. French royalty, that there is no, the, the French Revolution got rid of that. Shh, She's, she doesn't. Shh, shh, don't tell her. Not a reader. Um, she falls head over heels. Of course. Right? Why not? He's a prince. She also didn't know that Rocancourt had a wife at home. And oh, P.S., <laughs> Pia Reyes had a baby. So love, they have a wife. He has a wife and child. I love home. how these people are always fertile. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what um, their child was named? I don't know what. Zeus. <laughs> I'm not kidding. So Rhonda and Rokencore, they're living this party lifestyle, and it's just like too intoxicating. Oh, it's, of course. She can't help it. May we? Oui. Zarin. Yes. Close your eyes. Oh, my eyes are closed. I want you to picture it. Yes. <laughs> it's March 1998. It's about midnight, and you're sitting on the patio of the Garden of Eden nightclub in Hollywood on the corner of Hollywood Boulevard and La Brea. The place opened last year, and it is the place to see and be seen. You are loving the luxurious Moroccan decor, the candles, the fresh flowers. You can hear the dance floor a-poppin' inside. And you're loving the people watching. Like, what is that David Faustino over there? No, it just looks like him. Uh, But, you know, you're pretty sure that Mickey Rourke is sitting at the next table. And you want to tell him that Angel Heart is one of your favorite movies. It truly is. But you decide to sit back and let him enjoy his evening. Yeah, he deserves that. Mickey Rourke is sitting with a bunch of people. He's talking to one guy in particular. He's loud, and he has the most incredible thick French accent. (laughs) So you see some concern on the Frenchman's face as he looks just beyond you. You turn to see where his gaze has landed, and you catch sight of a very buff guy in a tight T-shirt. Mm. Guy has a ponytail, so you know he means business. Oh, yeah. Rokencore tells the guy, take a picture, it will last longer. <laughs> the buff guy says, it's free country, pal. <laughs> or words to that effect. <laughs> I'm just riffing here. Uh, suddenly, the buff guy stands up and threatens Rokencore's life. I won't repeat what he said, but it was colorful. Okay, I imagine. Uh, Rourke, he moves to hold Rokencore back. <laughs> You're getting Don't held forget. back by Mickey Rourke? Yeah. <laughs> And then the buff guys, pal, they they like they step in. They're like, no, man, it's not worth it. Um, so everything like dies down. People eventually head out to either go home or keep the party going somewhere else. You just keep thinking about this guy's accent. Oh, like, yeah. It's just in your head. And the amount of hair care product that I just saw get in a fight. <laughs> and like pseudo boxers. Because yeah, exactly. when, you know, when Rokimcore first came to the United States, he told people at Cafe Maurice he was a boxer. Of course he so, did. So, yeah, it all works oh, out. Oh, of course. Him and Norman, Mormon Mailer. <laughs> so, and Mickey Rourke. Yeah. So the Nasty. next day, you are weirdly craving French onion soup. <laughs> yes, I am. And you head to Cafe Maurice to sate that desire. Mm. Um, as you're standing outside, you're waiting for your table for one, you see a giant black Hummer pull up to the curb. Ah. What you don't know is that the Hummer used to belong to Dodi Fayed. Wow. And it's just, I told you it's a grab bag of Princess 90s. Diana's boyfriend? Yeah. That dude? Dodi okay. at that time was the recently deceased Egyptian film producer and paramour oh, of yeah. Diana, Princess of Wales. Dodi Fayed, son of billionaire owner of Harrods department store, Mohammed Al Fayed. Mm-hmm. The man behind the wheel had a bit of an obsession with Dodi. 
He tried to meet him a bunch of times and even went to an open house when Dodie was selling his house in Malibu because he thought he'd be there and he could see him, which, like, that doesn't... <laughs> That's not no, how owners that aren't there. Um, after Dodie died in that Paris tunnel with mm-hmm. Diana, the man behind the wheel somehow managed to buy that Hummer. What? And it was tricked out, too. The surveillance... It had surveillance cameras on the back. Wait, the car that was... In, I thought they were... Okay, no, I'm they curious. weren't driving the Hummer. Oh, right. I thought the they Hummer were like a was Mercedes in LA. or they something. They were. It was okay. like, a, yeah, no, the the Hummer was in LA. Okay. So Dodie dies and okay. he's like, it's his can, I get in, can I get in on that car? Because I love Dodie. I got you. And so it had surveillance cameras on the back. Like in the late 90s, that wasn't common or cheap. No, no. Yeah. So the window of the Hummer rolls down and you see that it's none other than the Frenchman from last night. <laughs> Christopher Rocancourt. <laughs> Kel coincidence. <laughs> so he's about to shout a greeting to the maitre d' who's like standing outside the door when this black Mercedes 500 pulls up. Uh-oh. Who should exit that vehicle but the buff guy and his friends from last night? Oh, no. Crazy coincidence. Kel crazy coincidence. Rokencore and the buff guy like lock eyes. Rokencore peels away from the curb and the fellas from last night jump back in the Benzo and give chase. Oh, wow. Car chase is on. What in the world? Who put a bee in their bonnets? That's what you're thinking to yourself. <laughs> Yes. Then you hear, Zarin, party of one, your table's ready. So you go inside, you get delicious French onion soup, maybe some steak free. Who knows? The night is young, Zarin. <laughs> Meanwhile, Christopher Rocancourt, he's like hauling tail down La Cienega. Okay. In SNL Californians uh-huh. style, I'll tell you, he went down La Cienega, and then mm-hmm. he turned a right on Melrose, and then he made another right on San Vicente. Okay. So you kind of know where he is. Um, as he's watching the car in his rear video monitor, uh, his mistress, Rhonda Rydell, calls him. And he tells her, I am being chased by a car. It is full of irate Arabs. <laughs> Please call the police. And so she's like, wait, the what? And the what now? Um, so here's Rokencourt. He's like being followed by a Mercedes of what he's describing as angry Arabs. Mm-hmm. Um, he stops at the light at San Vicente in Santa Monica. The Mercedes pulls up next to him. And then suddenly a Hyundai pulls up behind him. Okay. Uh, the man in the Hyundai gets out. Rhonda's still on the line at this point. She's, like, listening as Christopher sits in tense silence. Shots ring out. The car peels away, and Rokencourt, uninjured, he gets out of his car, and he runs to the L.A. County Sheriff West Hollywood Station, located right conveniently there. at that corner. Yeah. yeah. So they shot him in front of the sheriff's station. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's, or, you can't miss it. No. Or did they? Wait, what? So the cops go outside. They secure the scene. They find bullet holes in the Hummer. Uh-huh. Here's the problem. They came from inside the car. <laughs> and then they yeah. also found a Glock. Oh, man. So they search local hospitals. They find the man in the Hyundai. He uh-huh. had a graze wound on his arm. Okay. Um, so, of course, Rokencore is brought in for questioning. When this sort of thing happens, the police don't just let it go. Oh. Right? <laughs> so yeah. uh, they ran his information. They find out that he's wanted for passport fraud. Okay. What passport fraud, you say? Uh, what passport fr- fraud, I say? <laughs> he he held a valid U.S. passport, sort of. Huh? Do you remember Leah Bongo? Oh, yes. Okay. She and Rokencourt paid a couple grand to two L.A. passport clerks in exchange for a passport for Rokencourt, who was not a citizen. So oh. he has a he has a fake passport yes. from the actual passport agency. But he's got a fake American. A fraudulent. A fake fraudulent American passport. passport. Yeah. yeah. So Rokencore's wife, Pia, she comes down uh-huh. to the station. 
So does his mistress, Rhonda. <laughs> and that's where they found out about each other. In Terrible the lobby place. of the police station, the sheriff's department. Ooh, Rhonda, like, she's still in love with Rokencore, but she ends the relationship because she, he's married. She had no clue up until that point. <laughs> she's a woman of great virtue. She is. So Rokencore, he caught gun charges for having the Glock on top of the passport charges. His bail is set at $175,000. He asked all of his pals from Mickey Rourke to restaurateurs to random wealthy investors he knew for bail money. No dice. None of them had the 17500 well, he needed. Pia was able to rustle most of it up and Rokencore is released. He's out on bail, which for him meant out of the area. <laughs> he jumped bail in the wind. Where did he go? When we get back from this break, I'll tell you. <laughs> nice. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut, and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Zarin. Elizabeth. When we left off, Christopher Rochencourt had skipped bail in L.A. and was in the wind. Completely. Where was the wind for Christopher Rochencourt? Ah, let me guess. I'm thinking maybe we get an Ibiza in this? No. No. New York City. Oh. Uh, he, Pia, and their son Zeus, they're living <laughs> in a posh loft apartment in lower Manhattan. Of course. He's going big with his cons there. He gets 175000 from this businessman. Mm-hmm. He was an immigrant. He gets $40,000 in merchandise from a store. He owes 20000 in back rent. He gets 40000 from a store employee for a, quote, investment. He bought a building in Dumbo that Jay-Z didn't want. <laughs> Dumbo. Uh, and so he seduces this wealthy woman. Yes. And she gives him ninety grand in cash. Huh. And then he also steals $250,000 worth of jewelry from said wealthy woman. Whoa. Yeah. But here's the thing is that like a lot of the really wealthy people that he was ripping off were so embarrassed by it and they didn't want their affairs made public that they wouldn't talk to the cops. They just let it go. I think we need to not skip over this point because we've heard this come up lots of times. A time. lot of times. People are like, I'll write off that $1.5 billion. Well, and they I'll were saying that, that this wouldn't even make a dent for her, yes. this amount of money, whoever she was. Wow. So that's all well and good. But for real money, he knew where he had to go. Huh. The family, now with an assistant named Dante Daniello, who was calling himself Joseph, but apparently had like a big, thick, like Bronx accent. Okay. Call me Joe. Um, <laughs> they moved to the Hamptons. Okay. They headed up there. Yeah, that's So Rogan is looking at properties to quote unquote buy. Uh-huh. But like, meanwhile, he's taking the real estate agent for more than $100,000 on a fake stock tip. He's Wait. like, oh, we can invest the money. Wait, he's working his own real estate agent? Yes. Yes. <laughs> But he's not really looking to buy a house. No, I know, but he's just pretending. <laughs> he's just so, <laughs> so the real estate agent's so busy trying to con him, he uh-huh. doesn't notice he's being taken. He's like, oh, I'll get in good with this wealthy guy. I'll get a huge commission. <laughs> so it's about around that time that he starts introducing himself to people in the Hamptons by a new alias, yes. Christopher Rockefeller. Ah. He had his quote-unquote assistant, quote, screen his calls mm-hmm. um, in front of people, either like accepting or declining calls from like aristocrats, <laughs> Kennedy's, celebrities. Um, So like, oh, you know, we've got, uh, I don't know, some famous person on the line. Alan Dershowitz. I'll call him. Oh, God. (laughs) You said the Hamptons. Yeah, right? I've got Dershowitz. And he's like, I'll call him back. This is what Jim Rockford used to do on the Rockford Files. Exactly. This is a very TV thing. Rockefeller, Rockford. I see the connection. (laughs) Um, So one day he's at the East Hampton gym getting a massage, as you do. He convinced the masseuse, Kareen Iltink, that he had a great investment opportunity that would triple her money. He's stealing like, from the massage Yeah, therapist? so she gives him $14,000. What the hell? Is he, he just like he addicted to it? He's like, well, I love the action. He's just super charming. She's like, you know what? Come hang out at my house. Like, oh, I have no. a lot of cool people and friends there. One of the friends is this Spanish painter named Ginez Saran Pagan. That's a great, yeah. hilarious name. And then, he, and then another good friend of hers is this guy, Kevin McCrary. So they'll come back to us. All right. Corinne's father back in the Netherlands had a stroke. So she had to go out and fly and see him. But okay. she wanted to use the investment opportunity from Rokencore to triple her entire savings. Because she's like, I'm going to need this money to take care of my dad. So she has $125,000. She wants to give it to Rokencore to invest. So she calls up her friend McCrary and is like, hey, I'm at the airport. You know, can you take this money, take it to Rokencore, and, like, have him uh-huh. invest it. He's like, all right, fine. So McCrary meets up with Rokencore, um at Corinne's house. Red flags a fly-in. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. He's uncouth, R- Rokencore. He's tattooed. He's sloppy. 
And these are not the traits of a Rockefeller. No, no, not generally. Here's what McCrary told Vanity Fair. Quote, he set me off immediately. How could a Rockefeller be associated with such a bumbling fool? It didn't fit. Nothing fit. He's French. My family has known the Rockefellers for decades. Nelson, David, we've known them for years. If there's Jay. one thing I know, it's growing up around money. He Ooh. didn't feel like money. Wow. Meow. Seriously. Yeah, so McCrary, he finds out that another friend of his had given Rokencore money, and he's just like irate. Who? Why are you guys trusting this man? So he tries to report it as a crime, uh-huh. but no crime had really taken place yet because yeah. it's not like, you know, he had stolen something just immediately. A bad he just bad investment so right. far. So meanwhile, Hines, Saran Pagan, <laughs> um, he's grown wise to Rokin <laughs> Why is that name so awesome? I know. And I wish you could see it written out because yeah. it's amazing. It looks like Jines Saran Pagan, <laughs> <laughs> but it's Hines Saran Pagan. <laughs> Um, so Saren Pagan, uh, he doesn't go to the cops. He's wise to him. He doesn't go to the cops. He's an artist, a free thinker, a free spirit, a jokester. He was fascinated by Rokencore. He wanted to know more. This is what he later told the New York Times, quote, I wanted in on his game. I liked him, but I knew he wasn't a Rockefeller. As a con man, I'll give him an eight. On what scale are we doing this? <laughs> like, on our normal con man on scale? Like seven one... to eight. <laughs> so... Uh, Hines, he sets up a dinner party at his house. I'm sure the Hamptons has its share of weird dinner parties, but this has, like, got to be up there for it. He assembled an interesting and eclectic group. Pierre, a peculiar art collector. Ah. Maria and Clea, daughters of a wealthy Greek shipping magnate. Okay. And Natsuko, the daughter of a top executive at Sony International. Did Ryan Johnson write this? (laughs) Pretty much. Come on. Here's the thing, though. They're all imposters. So Pierre (laughs) is actually Peter Fazio, a local contractor. Maria was really Maria Eftimiades, the New York bureau chief at People magazine. Oh, wow. Clea was a friend of hers and a JAG lawyer. Oh, like like a Navy JAG? Like a Navy lawyer. Okay. And then Natsuko Utsumi had no relation to anyone at Sony and was actually a photojournalist who was working on a book about African genital mutilation. I mean, you have to run that back. No. So Maria, <laughs> the journalist, she could not help herself, like, but quiz Rokencore on his lifestyle. And the questions she asked got more and more probing. Like, where do you live? How would you describe your house? Like, mm-hmm. and as he's he's getting shorter and shorter, more and more terse, like, she starts pressing him. And then Hines is like, stop, like, kicks her under the table. So most of the time, though, Rokencore just held court. He's, like, waxing demi-elegant on things like art economics, the ladies. Do you think he was doing a good job? No. Do you imagine? No, he was terrible. So at one point, and he's like super pretentious about it. At one point, Hines told Rokencourt he was a genius. And like, this is, and Rokencourt's like, what do you mean? And I, you know, Einstein was a genius. I am, but a simple man. (laughs) And this is what, this is how Hines relayed what he said to Vanity Fair. Quote, a genius is a person who has control, who has no fear, he said. For the briefest moment, their eyes met, and Pagan sensed that some part of Rockefeller's elaborate mask had fallen away. Then he knew, the artist speculates today, he knew that I knew, and he knew I would keep his secret, that I wouldn't turn him in. Wow. So they're just the like drama. scammer to scammer. He knew that I knew that I saw his soul. <laughs> that I knew that he knew. Also, his definition of genius would mean that both uh, Evil Knievel and my neighbor Bob are both geniuses. Oh, what's your point? <laughs> yeah, it was a low bar. He had a hey, very low well. bar. <laughs> 
So McCrary, though, he's not tickled by Rocancourt's deceptions the way that Hines is. Uh-huh. McCrary's irate. So he keeps bugging the cops until they get a lead, right? Rocancourt was not staying at a, a fancy summer home like mm. he had everyone believing. Like, he told people that he lived on whatever, like, the fanciest street there sure. was. He would name drop that. And they're like, oh, really? Which one? Um, he's staying at a bed and breakfast. And he hadn't paid the bill. Who? And he owed $19,000. Kind of bed and breakfast. I don't know. So he gets arrested, and he provides an ID, um, a, a passport that's uh-huh. that has the name Fabian Ortuna. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know he's sitting there in jail. His attorney shows up, uh-huh. Bruce Cutler. I don't know if you know that name. That's John Gotti's attorney. I was going to say, that name sounds familiar. Yeah. So the next day, posts $45,000 cash bond. How the bond. hell does he have John Gotti's I lawyer? I don't know. Post $45,000 cash bond. And once again, in the wind. Oh, man. So it wasn't until after he's out on bail that the police ran his prints. Are you kidding in me? In the Sleepy Hamptons. So, uh-oh. There's all the mess in L.A., <laughs> Rome, yeah. Hong Kong, like totally. other stuff. The Interpol red warning. Exactly. So he's getting around. Rocancourt wasn't totally off the radar, though. He reached out via third parties to talk to the media while he was on the run. Mm-hmm. He told the New York Times, quote, I would not consider myself a criminal. I steal with my mind. If I take <laughs> things, if that's your definition of a criminal, then I am a criminal. If they catch me, I will make no deal. I will do my time. I steal with my mind. This is more of what he told the Times. Quote, I've never killed anyone, he said. I don't believe in taking another life. It is the ultimate sin. He said he felt no remorse for his actions, just pity for his victims. I feel sorry for their greed, he said. Ooh. I'm not laughing. There is nothing funny about stupidity. Oh. Would he be caught? That is in the hands of God, he said. Oh, damn. <laughs> so there we go. Damn, he insults his marks. He says it's not about uh-huh. me. They're stupid and greedy. And if anybody's going to come after me, it's God. And right. I, I ain't listening otherwise. Well, where is he when he's getting all emotional with the press? This is amazing. Canada. He oh. went to Canada. So he and his family, they made their way to British Columbia. They ditched the assistant. It's just sure. him, Pia, and Zeus. Uh-huh. Um, that There they meet this businessman named Robert Baldock. And uh, Rocancourt tells Baldock that he's actually Michael Van Hoven, Formula One racer for Ferrari. <laughs> it's like, sure, of course. Yeah. And he's like, you know, I make $28 million a year. It's a pretty cool gig. You know, do what you love. You never work a day in your life. And so he said, you know, what do you do, Baldock? He's like, well, I own this medical diagnostic company. He's like, fantastique. I give you $5 million to invest. Baldock's like, uh, okay. So he's like, I'll transfer the $5 million to you. And in the meantime, like, Baldock and his wife, they're just showering him with gifts. They give him a suite at this luxury hotel resort. They give him a Rolex. Um, Baldock goes to Switzerland in order to complete the transfer of funds. Okay. He did this a few times because it never took. So he goes to Switzerland because in person to pick up money, essentially? He goes to UBS yeah. in Switzerland. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey. And it's like, I ha- there's all this confusion. Like, he's showing up. They're like, oh, do you want to open an account? He's like, no, no, no. I'm supposed to take stuff. I don't know what was wrong with everybody involved. How do all these rich people have this money? Like, they're know. so irresponsible and, like, cal- casual about know. it. It seems like money is really Well, so he, he does this chance. a bunch of times. He goes over there, and every time, Rokencore's like, oh, you know what? It didn't go through because, I don't know, the, the fates do not allow. And then he flies over again. Yeah. He's like, well, try it again, like, next week. Come <laughs> back and then try again. So the Baldocks, they'd had enough. <laughs> I hope so. They go to the cops. They go mm-hmm. to the Mounties. Yes. Rokencore gets arrested and charged with fraud. 
He pleads guilty. And then he also pleads guilty to the charges in L.A. and New York. P.S. said she had absolutely no idea what was going on, didn't have part of the scheme. I don't really believe that, but they let her go. Huh. She doesn't get charged. Roquencourt did a year in a Canadian prison, and while he was there, he did what all our favorite criminals do. Yes. Not make toilet wine. No. But rather, he wrote a book. Of course. It's what it, you do in prison. It has an amazing title. I, Christopher Roquencourt, Orphan, Playboy, Prisoner. That's the title? Uh-huh. <laughs> so good. So after finishing his time in Canada, he gets sent to Brooklyn to face federal charges on 11 counts of fraud. Okay. Felony counts. So now he's actually facing something. Yeah. His lawyer didn't request bail. He pled guilty. I mean, I don't know how it is, but I imagine a Canadian prison is, from what I've seen, is kind of like the some of the Northern European prisons, like in Sweden and Denmark. Know. And it's basically like, oh, you got a free hotel room and some space to write. I don't. I, I would hope so. I, I know, hope honestly, so. but still. In October 2003, he gets sentenced to three years. Okay. And 10 months. So 40, what is it, 46 months in jail, plus $1.3 million in restitution. Hmm. And he gets ordered to pay 75% of any profits from telling his life story, whether a movie or a book, to pay back the victims. The judge, the Honorable Charles Sifton, had this to say, quote, The likelihood that people are going to take seriously anything he says or rely on it in the future is rather slim. Yeah, but it'll still sell books. (laughs) Uh So he gets released in 2007, sent back to France. Much like our pal Elmir Dahori, uh-huh. his social currency was only enhanced be- behind, like uh, by his time behind bars. Yes, yeah, of course. So he starts dating Sonia Roland, the former Miss France. What? In 2007. <laughs> Wait, what? I know. 2007, he meets French filmmaker um, Kathleen Brea. Uh, she asked him to be in a movie that she was making called Bad Love, uh-huh. and it was based upon a novel that she wrote. The star of the movie, Naomi Campbell. We're pulling all the 90s names, even though it's 2007. And that's how he found himself on the red carpet at Cannes as the date of of Naomi Campbell. Wow. Yeah, she also gave him money to write a screenplay about his life. Do you get the idea that him being handsome is really a big part of his cachet? He's sort of in that handsome, like that, um, who's the French actor, Vincent? Gallo? No, the French one, Vincent Cassel. Oh, Cassel, Vincent Cassel. He's kind of like that, where it's like, He's not traditionally handsome, yeah. but you can see it. Oh, you like, don't think that guy's can traditionally handsome? I, I, I mean, I don't think traditionally he doesn't look like all those weird, like, huh. frat boy, cookie-cutter American actors. Oh, oh yeah, but I wasn't compa- I was comparing to, like, French traditional. Right. I think he's handsome, yeah. but it's like, I think I could see how people wouldn't oh, agree sure. with okay, that. Okay. And so that's kind of how That's how you imagine is. him? Okay. I think he's handsome, huh. this one. But you can also see, like, in some pictures where maybe people wouldn't. He's oh, not really? conventionally handsome. Okay, because you remember you said he started as a model. And I was wondering if yeah. that's why it's always helping that people trust him. Yeah, but him. not in the model. He was very much in, like, the kind of the CK1, Calvin Klein, chic. like, Calvin Klein, like, um, I don't know. It's just that he doesn't, he didn't have, like, the traditional uh-huh. model looks. I gotcha. Um, so he uh, he's getting money to write a screenplay about his life. Brea also loaned him more than 650,000 euros Hmm. for various projects and things. Okay. By July of 2009, she was fed up and she published a book accusing him of taking advantage of her diminished mental capacity following a stroke that she had in 2004. The book, called Abuse of Weakness, was eventually made into a film starring Isabelle Huppert. Oh, yeah, great. Uh, In 2012... Rokencore was arrested for defrauding uh, Brea huh. and did some time in prison. All right. 2014, he gets arrested again, this time for bribing a police officer to supply him with passports uh, to and visas to sell at outrageous prices to illegal immigrants. 
Yeah. So I don't know what he's up to now exactly. He's written seven books in total. <laughs> he has an Instagram account, uh, Chris Rokencore, uh OFF, like official. Oh, God. He has okay. 32,000 followers. There's a lot of pictures of him living a really super elegant lifestyle. Uh-huh. Uh, he's like sitting in a beach chair on a cold day all bundled up with the caption, Life is a storm worth living to the fullest. <laughs> but it's in French. I'm too tired to butcher that. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's very much like a Kendall Roy lookbook, yes. his Instagram account, uh-huh. or rather the unknown Roy brother we didn't know we needed on Succession. Jacques Roy. Makes sense. He's like the, the, the it's like his stint as a Rockefeller. Yeah. He's a French Roy. <laughs> um, so there he is. Check him out. Zarin, what's your ridiculous takeaway? Man, I used to think Rick, Mickey Rourke was pretty cool. Like, <laughs> but now I'm wondering, is if he could hang out with this dude? I have wild Mickey Rourke stories that I cannot share. Really? That I've heard from friends in L.A. What? And I'm just going to leave it at that. Oh, my god! Horrible things that I can't share. Really? Like yeah. bad, like bad, bad? Or like bad, like... like I, weird, bad, weird. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to tease that and leave it. I just always found him peculiar. But starting from when he wanted to be a boxer, I was like, oh, yeah. th- that dude's not right. I, I love it. So like, I always paid it. <laughs> attention to him and he's also smart i mean he's yeah, like he's oh, charismatic yeah. he's interesting he's curious he's a phenomenal he's, he's actor a lot of the things i really respect in a person oh, yeah but also he's just so uniquely him that i was like i like to think that inside of there there is some like not i don't want to say goodness i'm not measuring his soul but i mean like something some spark of like real raw humanity and like like a flame of, of a, not like a pure spirit but like an artistic spirit which i understand he's going to hurt oh, yeah. hurt but people I don't think he but was not ever, malicious people i don't want that i don't think he was ever taken by rokencor and i think well, no, it was just, just like an interesting thing to so maybe Rokencore helped take care of those chihuahuas he carries around. Sure, and I can see him. I mean, he's gonna have weird friends, you know. So oh, I yeah. imagine his yeah. courtier is just all kinds of weird friends. Uh-huh. But like, this is like I just would expect <laughs> I more. I guess I know, exactly. Uh, yeah. What's your ridiculous takeaway, Elizabeth? My ridiculous takeaway is that if you can go through things with a, a ridiculous accent and really like carry yourself, like oh, you know what you're weird. doing, and you're. You're above it all. You can get away with whatever. Oh, certainly have. I'm <laughs> telling you in? from experience. Well, that is it for today. Oh, man, we are so excellent. Oh. <laughs> Bravo. Genius, genius. <laughs> you can find us online at Ridiculous Crime on both Twitter for the talk and Instagram for the gawk and email us at ridiculouscrime at gmail.com. Uh, do a talk back, iHeartRadio app, leave us a voicemail. Tune in next time. Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Dave Couston, heir to the Rockefeller Records fortune. Research is by Marissa, Jeff Bezos is my cousin, Brown, and Andrea, Bill Gates is my uncle, song Charpentier. The theme song is by Thomas, Larry Ellison is my half-brother, Lee, and Travis, Warren Buffett is my son, as is Jimmy Buffett, Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, hey, Mackenzie Scott, how you doing? Bolin, and Noel, I am from the American branch of the Arnaud family, Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. 
was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's of kid treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.